The following is a lesson in a series on life, liberty, and property brought to you by Republic Keepers and is presented and discussed by the Attorney General of the Republic State of Texas, Chaplain Raymond. This lesson discusses a book by the same name, Life, Liberty, and Property, written by Charles A. Wiseman, of which can be purchased at his website, seek-info.com, at amazon.com, or small bookstores such as Brave New Books in Austin, Texas. The ISBN number for this book is 0-966-8921-9-4. Life, Liberty, and Property is an educational series for sovereign souls on the dry land, and the information about fundamental law and the unwritten constitution cannot be utilized by those individuals that are domiciled in the District of Columbia. To understand your domicile status, please review the two constitutions, two domiciles document on republickeepers.com. We hope you enjoy this lesson on life, liberty, and property. We're continuing our training on life, liberty, and property from the text uh, written by Charles A. Wiseman. We're beginning Chapter 7, Limitations on the Legislative Power. And the first section in this chapter is Colonial Legislative Limitations. Due process of law, or the law of the land, was originally a restriction and a limitation on the acts of the king or executive acts which affected the rights and justice of the subject. The guarantee generally did not work as a limitation upon legislative acts of parliament. And except for the opinion of Cook and a few others, it was not taken to operate as such. Thus, the doctrine of parliamentary supremacy generally prevailed in England. There did exist a maxim of the common law which prohibited such acts from affecting the fundamental rights of the subject. Yet, Parliament enacted measures that established due process procedures while enacting, <clears throat> while enacting others which impinged upon common law rights and procedures. This paradoxical situation had the potential of nullifying the rights of Englishmen, Englishmen by placing the safety for such rights completely in the hands of Parliament. This legal premise, however, was not recognized in America, and even at the earliest colonial times, limitations and restrictions on the legislative power was decreed and followed. These restrictions were imposed by requiring legislative acts to conform to and not violate established laws, principles, customs, and rights as were anciently known and settled in England. In other words, they were limited by the law of the land or the law of England, which included the ancient common law. As stated, this was the case from the very beginning to colonial, of colonial history. Thus, in the charter to Sir Walter Raleigh in 1584, we find this restriction placed on the manner of laws and statutes that could be made. Quote, 
So always, as the said statutes, laws, and ordinance may be as near as conveniently may be, agreeable to the form of the laws, statutes, government, or policy of England, and also so they be not against the true Christian faith now professed in the Church of England. Unquote. So now, so not only were any newly enacted laws in America limited by the common law of England, but by Christianity, which included the laws of God as found in the Bible. In the Charter of Maryland in 1632, legislative powers of the government were established to enact laws relating to the public state or the private utility of individuals of and with the advice, assent, and approbation of the free men of the province. Such laws were made such laws made were to conform to the following restrictions. Roman numeral seven. <clears throat> so nevertheless that the laws aforesaid be consonant to reason and be not repugnant or contrary, but so far as conveniently may be agreeable to the laws, statutes, customs, and rights of this, our kingdom of England. Unquote. This same provision is found in Sir Robert Heath's patent issued under King Charles I in 1629, which governed the area of North Carolina. Many other documents prescribe that procedures, laws, and acts be not contrary to the law of England, including the common law. Such provisions can be found in the following documents. I will read this list. The Charter of New England, 1620. The Charter of the Colony of New Plymouth, 1629. The Charter of Massachusetts Bay, 1629. The Commission of Sir Edmund Andros for the Dominion of New England. The Charter of Massachusetts Bay, 1691. The Combination of the Inhabitants upon the, the Pekestaqua River for the Government. The Agreement of the Lord Proprietors of the Providence Province of New Jersey, 1664. Grant of New England to the Duke of York, 1676. The Charter of Carolina, 1663. Concessions and agreements of the Lords Proprietors of the Province of Carolina, 1665. The Charter of Carolina, 1665. Patent for Providence Plantations, 1643. Charter of Rhode Island and Providence Plantation, 1663. Thus, whatever laws were passed in the province of Maryland or any of these other colonies, such laws could not be contrary to the ancient common law. The laws, statutes, government, and customs of this our realm of England, as it was often stated. In fact, such laws and ordinance passed had to conform to or be agreeable to such laws and government as existed in England. 
The law is the law which was established in England, the law of the land. Thus, the laws of our realm of England would mean to include the common law as would the term customs. Also, many of the older statutes had declared or codified the laws which safeguarded the rights of Englishmen and were considered part of the common law. The colonial laws also could not be contrary to the rights of individuals living in the province. These rights which the legislative body could not violate were the ancient, inherent, natural, and fundamental rights recognized under Anglo-Saxon law. As the colonists were to have the rights of a natural-born subject in England, such rights could not be taken away by legislation. This, then, was an area in which even Parliament was limited. Thus, by this provision, prohibiting laws being passed contrary to the law of England, as found in most charters and constitutions, excuse me, laws enacted that were contrary to the common law or the procedure that safeguarded private rights were not authorized and thus invalid. These provisions were a clear limitation and restriction on legislative power. In some cases, these limitations were made more specific as shown in the Maryland Charter of 1632. Quote, And so that the same ordinance do not, in any sort, extend to, oblige, bind, charge, or take away the right or interest of any person or persons of or in member, limb, life, freehold, goods or chattels. Unquote. Quote. Here we have an expression which is equivalent to the phrase life, liberty, and property used to limit what type of ordinance could be enacted. Rights pertaining to life, limb, and property could not in any sort be infringed, diminished, or taken away by an act of the legislative assembly. Thus, the law of the land was recognized as restricting the legislative process. This also was well exemplified in the Charter of West New Jersey, drafted in 1676, whose first concession established the preeminence of the common law and fundamental rights. Quote, that the common law or fundamental rights of West New Jersey are individually agreed upon by the proprietors and freeholders thereof to be the foundation of the government which is not to be altered by the legislative authority or free assembly hereafter mentioned and constituted but that the said legislative authority is constituted according to the fundamentals to make such laws as agree with and maintain the said fundamentals and to make no laws that in the least contradict, differ, or vary from the said fundamentals. 
under any pretense or allegation whatsoever. <clears throat> this provision states the true and correct doctrine and philosophy of American law and government. The Charter also provided that, that if any persons in the Legislative Assembly shall designedly, willfully, and maliciously move or excite to move any matter or thing whatsoever that contradicts or in any way subverts any fundamentals of said laws into the constitution of the government, then they shall be, quote, preceded against as traitors to the said government. It is clear that the colonists during the revolutionary period did not accept the concept of parliamentary supremacy. They continually asserted that there was a fundamental law which naturally and necessity and of necessity places limitations on legislative powers. The doctrine that whatever Parliament declares is the law of the land continued to be the center of attack up to seventeen seventy six. The colonial experience showed that it was not so much what Parliament had done, but what it might do with the powers it exercised. The colonists feared a principle of power exercised which, though harmless at first use, may allow corruption or result in a destruction of their liberties later on. This helped to formulate the following rule on determining the limitations of legislative power. <clears throat> the legality of power must be estimated not by what it will do, but by what it can do. It has been well said, the constitutional validity of a statute is to be tested not by what has been done under it, but what may be done thereunder. In determining the existence of a constitutional power, inquiry is not limited to the results of its attempted exercise. It is of the first importance to consider what might be the results of its future exercise. This maxim has gone a long way to eliminating legislative acts that are potentially hazardous to life, liberty, or property. And this concludes this portion of the lessons.